0: Greetings, it is I, Keats Ross, your host of the Prag Magic Podcast, and I just wanted to take this short time to introduce tonight's very special Devil's Night guest, believing historian and occult historian, Mitch Horowitz. We chat from everything about the new Satanism Renaissance, how Satan is the god of the outsiders, and his form of anarchic magic, a title that I would even consider calling my own spiritual path as we share a lot of the same ingredients. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation this Devil's Night with Mitch Horowitz. Slither hither. And yeah, I just wanted to take this time. It's funny. So I just had Carl Abrahamson on the program.
1: Oh, excellent.
0: Yeah, and he, uh, you know, he's working on that documentary of sure. Tom Bay. Yeah, of and, course. Uh, that's coming out really soon. And it just seems like Satanism as a whole has been pretty prescient in the zeitgeist, especially within
1: I this community. I get the impression. Yeah, I think there's a bit of a mini-Renaissance going on. That's been my impression as well. Yeah, and I, was, yeah I was
0: hoping to, because it seems like you've been had such a zest for it recently. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe true. in the past year or so. Is that correct?
1: uh i would say past two years give or take but around that time yes and you had uh i remember
0: reading you you had kind of a um you know not a soul in but just a, a not an interested idea of it uh until recently say
1: to, until two years ago and i was wondering oh what yeah that, mine. oh sure and uh, have we begun by the way i just didn't know if we were
0: yeah sorry
1: preliminaries or taping it's all right <laughs> um, <clears throat> Well, changed my mind. Uh, I, I would say the catalyst was probably Carl Abrahamson's book, A Culture. Um, I was sent the book, A Culture. Oh man, maybe it was in December of 2017 uh, by uh, Carl's publisher, and they asked for an endorsement, which you know is something that I do from time to time. And although I didn't know him or his work, uh, I was certainly happy to take a look at it. And I noticed right away that Carl had a chapter in his book, which was an intellectual and artistic reconsideration of Anton LaVey, who is famous or infamous as the black pope of the Church of Satan. And up until that time, I had always regarded Anton as more or less a showman, a provocateur, even something of a huckster. I must have been at a state of mind where I was very open to reconsidering that point of view which I now feel a, a revolution of difference towards and 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 Carl's book uh, reached me as as things sometimes do just at that right moment and the instant that I saw that his book had this chapter reconsidering Anton As an intellectual, as a magician, as an artist, I had this indelible sense, which I'm sure some of your viewers have experienced themselves from time to time, that I was about to walk through a doorway through which there'd be no coming back. There was something that was going to be shifting and, and changing in my search and in my outlook when I entered that chapter. That was my inceptive feeling about it. And that inceptive feeling turned out, in this case, to be right. I entered the chapter and I felt just suffused with the sense of, of ideas and new appreciation for Anton on the terms that Carl had laid out. And as I began to explore Anton's work more fully and more carefully, I came to feel that he affirmed something that I had probably been experiencing maybe for several months, but hadn't really been able to bring to a very fine point, which is this idea that, and I hold to this very strongly today, this idea that the spiritual search is really a search for power. We're searching for a sense of personal agency, personal means to see through our plans and wishes in the world, whether financially, artistically, relationally, intimately, whatever it may be. And I I, I had come to feel several months prior to that several months prior to encountering Carl's book, that this was the great unacknowledged gravitational point of the spiritual search. That when we say thy will be done, we really mean my will be done, hoping that our will somehow comports with some kind of a higher will. When we speak in terms of service, in many cases, I certainly can't speak for everybody, but it's been my observation that in many cases, when people speak of service, they're trying to sanitize their own wishes for personal power and attainment and reprocess those wishes through a kind of scripturally sanctioned language. And I think this tears people apart. I think it... It makes us feel not only torn in two directions at once, but makes us strangers to ourselves. I think it also impedes the individual from seeking a true sense of ethics, a true code of honor, something that really comports with his or her sense of what is owed to life, of what is owed to other people, of what is owed in relationships. And I think we enter into a kind of, Either a false or a somewhat Potemkin set of religious values, which we may or may not practice, but which at least allow us to feel a sense of peer approval or allow us to feel a sense of internalized approval coming from within ourselves. Although our sense of personal approval very often is a sense of internalized peer approval or what we imagine our peers to be thinking. And when I speak of A pursuit of power, Uh, when I speak of attainment, I'm not speaking of any of that in a vacuum, Uh, divorced from ethics, divorced from reciprocity, divorced from relationships. But I'd like to believe that at this point in my personal search, I've cultivated a deeper sense of personal ethics than I might have arrived at if I had never been frank about the power-oriented nature of the spiritual search. Of course, that can only be measured by other people around me. And this had been very much on my mind. And then when I came in contact with Carl's book, I felt like I was coming into the company of figures like Carl, like Anton, uh, others in the modern satanic tradition, who. possessed a spiritual language that spoke to what I was feeling. And it became a very important turning point for me. Uh, It's not as if I don't have other interests. I have lots of other interests from new thought to ESP research and so on. But I came to feel that there was an honesty about what's really happening in the spiritual search and an honesty in a search for ethics and a code of honor and a solidarity that really living things to the individual rather than just a catechism
0: right i was going to say it's funny because you know with all your work and kind of this new thought reformation and the miracle <laughs> club and i heard you call anton Levay's satanism like the weaponized positive thinking right and i always love that because it was like the yes threadbare. i did yeah <laughs> i and that opened my eyes I yeah. see the threadbare between <clears throat> all of these different aspects you know
1: yes Yes.
0: Yeah, so... Yeah, I...
1: I, Okay. I certainly have no problem with a more Christianized version of New Thought, and many people who write in the New Thought tradition, like Joseph Murphy, for example, very much write in the vein of a, a mystical Christianity, and I honor that, but it's not exactly... My approach. I think there are different forces in our world, and I think the forces of rebellion, usurpation, romanticism, change, liberation. I think that that those those forces have been represented parabolically by certain ideals, not only in scripture but in other religious parables, other religious systems, uh, that 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 can be loosely grouped under what came to be called the satanic, but what is also insufficiently called the satanic, because I have a more independent view than the one that you often hear repeated by rote, very often taken from entertainment, very often taken by very conformist readings of, uh, Western religious literature and, uh, ill-suited, ill-suited to, I think the, the depth and the fullness of the energies in the world that we live in. So I use that term realizing that I don't have problems explaining it, but I have problems being understood no matter how plainly I try to explain it. But I do believe in transparency as well.
0: Yeah. And I mean, there's this prevailing meme about Satanism that <clears throat> I, I find really funny. And it's, um, they call it Ein Rand with Candles.
1: Yeah, that's cute, actually. <laughs> and look, you know, it might not be a bad idea to take a second look at that. You know, I, I'm not an objectivist. I'm not into right. everything that Ayn Rand was about. I think she uh, engaged in gross hyperbole, gross oversimplification, an excessive black and white view of the world. Uh, I don't think you can divide everything between. Um, Anarchic liberty and and statist tyranny. I think there's a heck of a lot of other things going on in life. At the same time, I do think that people who find it so easy to throw stones at Rand fail to appreciate, in the same way that many people fail to appreciate in the life of Madame H.P. Blavatsky, what an extraordinary act of self creation Rand engaged in. You know, here was this <clears throat> teenage kid. Named Alyssa Rosenbaum, who was living in Stalinist Russia, escaped Stalinist Russia, moved to Hollywood where she learned English and commenced her lifelong dream of becoming a a screenwriter. Moved east, became one of the most popular novelists of the 20th century. Um, Of course, it's de that everybody's supposed to say they hate Ayn Rand's fiction, but of course they haven't read Ayn Rand's fiction. And, you know... I got news for you, it's no better or worse than Stephen King, you know, and we don't have to go around saying that we hate Stephen King, you know, because he writes a kind of uh, popular, sometimes tendentious storytelling. Um, and I, I, I think that Rand's act of self-creation was extraordinary, but among the reasons why I'm not a follower of Rand is I don't agree with her economic ideas, and uh, I'm not an atheist. I, I think that Rand was too hasty to denounce mysticism as this very kind of broad category. I'd like to believe that if she were alive today, for example, I'd like to believe that I might be able to persuade her of the validity of, say, psychical research or ESP research, none of which necessarily requires the person to sign on to mysticism. But I think that she was too uh, wielding of a scalpel when uh, something more gentle would have done. And and she was too closed off to uh, ideas that she broadly defamed as mysticism. Um, so I can't say I'm a Randian, but I think that what Anton did was that you know he 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 sort of to a degree borrowed an aesthetic from Aleister Crowley, to a degree borrowed some philosophy from Rand, borrowed some philosophy from Nietzsche, borrowed some philosophy from some more far more obscure figures and he married it all together in the satanic bible with his own very very shrewd view of human nature his own aesthetic sensibility and he created something new if syncretic i mean the new is always syncretic in some way or another it's been the entire story of western civilization and we build upon things uh and so he did so he did but i thought that um Anton, kind of like Ayn Rand, two very different personas, but they were both self-created in a certain way, and I really admire that.
0: Do you think, and obviously because of the Hebrew word Satan and meaning the adversary, do you think there's a prevalent need for an adversarial kind of aspect in Satanism?
1: That's a really good question. Um, Certainly, I see Satanism as adversarial insofar as it represents the forces of nonconformity. Right. And that's something that we all have to watch for in ourselves. I mean, the very instant we create a text or start a school of thought, immediately we begin excluding people. You know, who's not a real objectivist? Who's not a real Satanist? You know, and, um, you know, you'll hear people talk about uh, um, Satanism being the equivalent uh, or or having as a forerunning belief, uh, atheism, you know, I'm not an atheist. So, you know, revoke my membership card. Fine. Right. Um, you know, I, I want all membership cards to get revoked. I'm sick and tired of membership cards. Um, you know, the, uh, it, it's so funny. Um, a friend of mine once said, uh, all the best conservatives are really liberals. You know, there's not too many of them left, but, you know, the best conservatives are the ones who are tortured by second thoughts. And there aren't many second thoughts found among conservatives today, but you get the drift of what he was saying. You know, that the best people are always the people who are on the margins of whatever movement they titularly or otherwise belong to. And so I think that that nonconformity shouldn't be pursued as a kind of provocation. Um, we have enough of that. I think it should. I think it should be something felt within the individual who never rests uh, too easy at night, uh, never wakes up in the morning without wondering once in a while, "Am I just wrong about everything?" Um, and 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 if we're not there, then we're in danger of creating a, a kind of dogma.
0: This is like incredibly synchronous. Just for the past uh, couple guests I've had, and it always comes down to this conversation about what you call anarchic magic, about subscribing to a dogma, not subscribing to a certain prior set. And I feel like you found kind of your ethics and values of anarchic magic in Satanism or your idea of of Satanism.
1: My idea of Satanism, uh, yes. And I think it's been very valuable to me personally, because it's also forced me to confront what are my ethics? What are my sense of debt to other people, for example? And uh, a host yesterday was asking me about the question of service. And I said, I don't really think in terms of service, you know, to be honest. I I don't like the term service as it's used within the spiritual culture because in many cases I have found as I was alluding earlier, that people use that term in a kind of hypocritical way to sanitize whatever it is they really want. You know, I want to win the lottery so I can give, you know, 30% away to orphanages. And it's like, well, you know, bravo, but are you working for orphanages right now? Or that'll only be when you get rich. You know, it's a little trick we play with ourselves often. I can't say always, but I was telling a friend that, the only time I really want to be of service to another person is when I admire that person. If I admire somebody, I want to assist what they're trying to accomplish in the world. I want to assist whatever it is they're trying to uh, see through, uh, whether they're an artist or a financier or a political activist or you name it. if I admire the individual, I want to contribute my energies to the realization of whatever he or she is trying to see through. If I don't admire an individual, I don't really want to dedicate any of my time or efforts to that person. And that puts me in a little bit of a bind because in truth, I don't really believe in just leaving people to their own devices. You know, my politics are pretty much Bernie Sanders politics. It's just that I suppose like a lot of people, I kind of, defer to political institutions to do things, which is not a bad thing. I mean, I'm not a dentist. I don't have time to go around ensuring that everybody has dental care or a dental plan, but I firmly believe that there could be a public option for dental care. So I want to see that happen. So it's not as if I walk around with this go-it-alone notion or this notion that I just want to leave people to their own devices. I, I certainly do not. But in terms of the hours of my day. uh, My service is dedicated to people whom I admire. And whether that's an ethical lapse on my part is something I have to examine. But but that is the truth of my situation right now.
0: Yeah, I was reading, you know, you listed out on one of your awesome medium articles I've been really into recently, but uh, the ethics of your kind of type of Satanism. Yeah, have it listed here the bullet points loyalty sincerity aesthetic integrity which i think is an absolute important one mm-hmm. uh, accountability reliability honor directness trust valor and foresight and i was reading this and i find it weird too like speaking of the zeitgeist and people say like uh jordan peterson getting you know famous as of late for kind of injecting some religiosity or uh into like the facets of quote-unquote manhood yeah Are similar aspects that. I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, go ahead.
1: I've never fully understood this overwhelming hostility that some people feel toward Peterson. I've always found Peterson to be a deeply intriguing figure because he attempts to interject really basic ideas of right. self-help, basically, into people's lives. And theres I'm well aware that when people start to go down a certain road politically, they start getting funding and they start appearing in videos where maybe they shouldn't be. You know, I've seen it happen to friends. As soon as somebody starts paying the bills, <clears throat> that, can, that can spiral, you know, very, very quickly. Um, and I can't say I... Uh, have read or pursued every statement politically that that Peterson has made. <clears throat> I think he probably spends too much time uh, bemoaning the dangers of Marxist deconstructionism, although yeah. he works on a college campus and I don't. So that might be a more in your face thing if you're an academic, but as far as the basic hard tax advice that he has, I really quite like it. And I would I mean, in my own way, I probably echo some of that in terms of the spiritual culture. You know, people want to talk about enlightenment, a word I never use, True. transcendent experience, self-realization, things of that matter. But the very same people can't keep their word, even to do ordinary things. You know, they promise you they're going to walk your dog and they don't walk the dog. You know, they you lend them uh, the car and it comes back you know, with a scratch and they don't say anything to you about it and so on and so forth. My feeling is if you can't keep your word in mundane matters, then you have nothing to offer in these ultimate questions of life. I mean, I run into people at spiritual conferences all the time who want to talk about love and the revolutionary transformative power of love. But, you know, they were supposed to show up to help with something Tuesday night and they flaked out. So where's the love, you know? And I would even extend this to Marianne Williamson. I'm not a critic of Marianne Williamson. I admire and respect Marianne. But I don't sense any love coming out of Marianne. If anything, Marianne reminds me of like, you know, a studio boss or like a producer at Oprah who you really don't want to cross, you know, somebody very stern, somebody very intense, powerful personality. I don't sense any love whatsoever, you know, coming from her. I don't condemn that but she talks about a revolution of love. And it's like, I I don't sense that emanating from that person. So my feeling is there's such a gap in our spiritual culture between what we say we wanna be and what our actions dictate us to be. And that's a very human problem. But I would say, learn to keep your word, learn to be loyal to friends, learn to abstain from gossip, learn to be accountable. Start there, because that will be a much more arousing and powerful and invigorating set of challenges to throw yourself into because they're real, rather than talking about loving the whole world, which is a fantasy.
0: Yeah, and my favorite aspect of of this was the aesthetic integrity, and use the great example of Steve Ditko yes comic book man and I, I i love that example um and i think it's what's really funny is it's really apparent to me in a lot of these sects or what might most people consider quote-unquote satanism there there isn't a lot of aesthetic integrity and mm-hmm. when they because they're kind of uh to use a bad term but like a uniform away sometimes yeah yeah and i wondered like I I just love that that aspect screamed out to me the most because I don't really hear that a lot in, you know, the construct or the structure of say, like tenants that, you know, build a person.
1: Yeah. I think there should be a certain beauty. Uh, I, I, I mean, I think the aesthetics within the new age culture are just deadly. There's only so many (laughs) more, you know, pastels and, lilies floating in water that any of us can put up with, you know, um, and it has always struck me and this is an interesting and, and somewhat dangerous question. It has always struck me that the, the warrior aesthetic has been profoundly gripping, um, samurais, knights, Uh, The Cowboy um, in entertainment, Darth Vader, you name it. And of course, the great danger is that there's also a fascist aesthetic that can be very alluring. And one has to be on the lookout for that because a fascist aesthetic can very easily cross over into the uh, concurrent ideology. And let's face it, you know, that aesthetic can be very alluring. Um, there is a a kind of pageantry that precedes fascism that I think demonstrates fascism clipping and pasting ideas from the occult rather than vice versa. Look right. at Freemasonry, for example, you know, I mean, within Freemasonry uh, and that heraldry, that kind of heraldry is not limited to Masonry alone, but the skull and crossbones, the obelisk, the all seeing eye, the, um, you know, everything, you know, the, 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 the uniforms, the aprons, the, um, various badges, medals, accoutrement. It's all powerful and it connotes rank. And that's where you have to be careful, you know, because right. we human beings love rank and, Unless there's a very good reason for having a, a ranking order, uh, like a fire department, uh, you've got to be really careful with that because that can start to go to ugly places. But nonetheless, I would have to say that figures like Aleister Crowley and Anton LaVey did bring an aesthetic into the Western world that was hugely, hugely arousing and, and powerful. And to a very great extent, the whole genre of heavy metal was influenced by that aesthetic. Uh, the genre of death metal, some reaches of more mainstream rock and roll, some reaches of hip hop, and many, many reaches of our entertainment. Look at look at Maleficent. You know, look at the figure of Loki and Thor. These are right. some of the most uh, recognizable figures in our pop culture today. Look at look at the Darth Vader. You know, so. These guys, um, they had a tremendous aesthetic sensibility. And I think that was every bit part of their makeup as magicians.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, you know, with Satan being kind of the patron saint of the outsiders, right? The like the first underdog in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I understand where the rock and roll and the, uh, you know, the aesthetic of, of Satanism, kind of the confluence of that. Uh, yeah, I was wondering yeah. if you could talk a little bit more, though, about, you know, this, uh, this outsiderdom that I think is maybe lacking a lot in uh, following these sorts of things. Well, let's
1: see. I, I think <clears throat> when I read Carl's book, and then I read the Satanic Bible and some other works of Anton's, I think I felt very excited because I was seeing a, a spiritual framing a magical framing of a quest for power, a wish to enlist unseen forces, a elevation of the satanic as something very Miltonian, very rebellious, very nonconformist, very usurping. And I also found in it all this exquisite simplicity, which I really, really liked Uh, I've never fully been into Aleister Crowley because I find Crowley's rituals and the Golden Dawn rituals that preceded them really excessive. I I find some ritualistic aspects of Thelema and Crowley highly excessive, although I admire them aesthetically, I admire them intellectually, and I really, really do appreciate the artistic and intellectual greatness that Crowley often brought to what he was doing. I suppose I do subscribe to a more uh, Protestant occultism, where I really want to strip things down to their essential basics. I've always liked the Protestant impulse of going straight to the man himself. And I, I liked Anton's work for that reason, it's gloriously stripped down. My work is stripped down, my work is very simple. Uh, I hope people find ideas that are fortifying, that are arousing, that are helpful in my work, but I think all of the ideas in my work are very, very simple, very stripped down, very basic. And if we as individuals are able to relate to extra physical forces, and I believe we are, I believe that that's probably very emotionally charged and isn't dependent upon the kind of ritual and liturgy that I left behind as a child. Uh, When I was in my thirties, probably I started to find the Jewish liturgy that I had grown up with very tiresome. I found it just very heavily based in, in recital. Um, That may have been a cultural reflection of the, Jewish world that I grew up in, I might have felt differently if I was in a different kind of world. But in any case, um, I found that concept of there being a a force that represented outsider energies, very powerful. Whether one calls that force Satan or Lucifer or Set or Lilith uh, makes no difference to me. I think those, those were our ancient ancestors' efforts to personify this opposing force. And I, I honor that very deeply.
0: Yeah, I was actually going to ask, because uh, I uh, asked Twitter, basically, if they had any questions for you for this mm-hmm. conversation. One prevailing one I kept getting is kind of the the difference uh, between Satan, Lucifer, Baphomet. Yes. You know. And I think that's, uh, especially recently, I know in conspiratorial circles, this idea of Luciferianism, uh, not to be confused with Satanism, right, has kind of grown in its own weird vacuum of a of an idea of what that is. And I was hoping you could talk a little bit about the differences, maybe.
1: Yeah, I, I, I started, uh, you know, considering that myself, I guess, uh, very early in this journey. And... For me, as a seeker, there are no substantial differences. Right. I understand why people use the term Lucifer or Luciferianism versus Satan and Satanism because they feel that the Luciferian represents more the positive aspect of the tradition uh-huh. and the rebellious, best, the lightbringer, and so forth. And... I also realize that for some people who are students of the work of Rudolf Steiner, for example, there are very good reasons to use the term Lucifer because Steiner had his own very scholarly interpretation of Luciferic forces. I don't feel bound by that terminology because I feel that our ancient ancestors made any number of efforts uh, over the course of, of millennia to personify energies through the names of gods sometimes these these names changed whether it be zeus or jupiter whether it be minerva or athena whether it be uh hermes or hermes trismegistus or mercury and yet the basic concept was still the same and that's my approach to the whole lucifer satanism uh, divide I, i understand why some people feel the need to make that distinction, but to me, uh, they're 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 just arose by another name.
0: It goes back to what you're saying about simplification, too. I mean, uh, yeah, I was talking to somebody recently, and we just had the, we just had to kind of contest that you know what everything we're talking about is the same thing. <laughs> like I believe all so. Of these words, I believe you know, so. Different vocabularies they signify maybe different groups or right, ideas, right. But yeah we're back
1: yeah well i don't know jehovah we're we're talking essentially about the same thing yeah yeah
0: and so when it comes to like anarchic magic your Mm -hmm. idea of your personal practice what Mm -hmm. um how is that different from your idea of satanism
1: oh that's a wonderful question um I suppose it's just broader, you know, nobody has to sign up for anything or put any label on themselves if they're interested in anarchic magic, you know, they could be Christian, you know, for that matter, or nothing at all. Um, Anarchic magic is just a way of expressing a very, very free-flowing search of finding religious systems, prayers, objects of prayer, accoutrements. Uh, everywhere in the world of responding to whatever you feel most deeply. In that article about anarchic magic, I talk about climbing to the top of a tower many years ago on the banks of the Charles River in in Massachusetts, outside Boston, and just swearing and feeling with this total self-expression that I was going to be a writer. And it felt like one of the most sacred acts of prayer that I had ever engaged in. And I've had other such moments, sometimes within the trappings of ordinary life, more often, frankly, before some magnificent work of art or standing before some wonderful building. Ayn Rand wrote that when she first uh, saw the skyline of New York City being a, a young escapee from Stalinist Russia, she broke down in tears. It was just everything that she had ever wanted to be around if she were spiritual which she certainly wasn't i would describe that as a kind of anarchic magical moment uh just allowing yourself to use whatever is around you uh there's certainly no fee of entry in terms of one's belief system or the ever-shifting nature of one's belief system or its absence or whatever it may be so it's it's a very broad uh, concept and i want people to feel just enormously free in experimenting, trying things on, using something uh, so long as it has potency. If it doesn't have potency, moving on to something else.
0: Are there any current authors? I know Peter, Gay, Peter Gray and uh, Gabriel McCockery, they wrote books recently kind of about uh, a certain type of Satanism. And I was wondering if there are any recent writers that uh, have really sparked or made your interest more fervent uh, other than Levey.
1: Well, certainly uh, uh, the literary works of Michael Aquino have been important to me. Aquino that broke off, of Temple of Set, Aquino broke yeah. off from uh, the Church of Satan in the mid 1970s. I don't get involved in any of that faction split stuff. I've had enough of faction splits in my life. Yeah. But, but I, I admire Aquino very much as a writer and as an intellect. He wrote a wonderful short book when he was still part of the Church of Satan called The Diabolicon. And the Diabolicon is kind of a, a reimagining of the events in, in Revelation, let's say, from, from the satanic perspective, uh reimagining the fall, so-called, from the satanic perspective. Uh after Aquino founded uh, the Temple of Set uh in the in the mid-70s late 70s. He uh, wrote another work uh, called The Book of Coming Forth by Night, which was a kind of a revealed work, not dissimilar in style to Aleister Crowley's uh, Book of the Law, in which Aquino wrote that it was revealed to him that worshiping the ancient Egyptian god of the desert of storms set uh, the the brother or or, or uncle to uh, Horus, depending upon which uh, which form of the, the 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 myth of Osiris you're reading, uh, Set was the great uh, primeval opposing force out of which Satanism and other such forms grew. And the Book of Coming Forth by Night is a great literary work. The Diabolicon is a great literary work. I provide links to these, or certainly at least to the Diabolicon, in an article that I wrote on Medium called "The Devil's Reading List." So. I suppose my biggest influences in this area, personally speaking, have been Carl, have been uh, Anton, have been Aquino. Um, there's um, a writer, a wonderful, wonderful writer, uh, uh, who goes by the name of uh, Red Serpent on Twitter. Uh, she lives in Mexico, and she's one of the most uh, just intellectually driven and, and, and beautiful satanic thinkers of our generation her work is very important to me Uh, certainly there's there's some other folks i wouldn't say my cup overfloweth in terms of those influences you know i wish there were more people i mean quite frankly sometimes i will find certain dramatic writing to be more a powerful uh, in terms of enunciating a satanic philosophy that speaks to my needs um for example you know, you can find these things sometimes in very ordinary seeming places, never overlook ordinary seeming places. The monologue delivered by Al Pacino's character at the end of uh, the movie Devil's Advocate is yeah, just yeah. wonderful and a great, great literary monologue. I wish there were satanic philosophy of that power of uh, being written by its acolytes today. Uh, but you find things in surprising places, you
0: know. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing that you brought that up. Uh, I was just thinking about that the other day. Synchronous. Um, is, um, is there anything on the horizon for you other than I wanted to ask you just a little bit about how the Kabbalion movie was coming along?
1: Oh, yeah, that's, that's going well. Um, that is, for anybody who doesn't know, a documentary that the filmmaker and uh, Ronnie Thomas and I are making of the 1908 occult book, The Kabbalion. Uh, this is, this is, it's funny, I must be going through some sort of, um, return cycle, you know, of some kind, because the Kabbalion also was a book that I had once written off as just a novelty of early 20th century occultism that distilled some ideas from hermeticism, added some ideas from contemporary new thought, but a couple of summers ago, Again, fairly recently, I took to rereading that book multiple times, and I came to feel that it really was a sound uh, iteration of certain hermetic ideas, uh, albeit dressed up in this dramatic material of uh, authorship under three initiates, and you know right, the, right. the 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 kind of pageantry and drama of being some secret or ancient uh, book or some. Commentary on an ancient book. And I came to feel it really was a sturdy, um, poignant distillation of a number of the psychological ideas that you do find in late ancient Hermetic philosophy. And so we undertook to make a documentary about this very valuable and very misunderstood book, which we filmed on location in Egypt uh, earlier this year, among other places. We're rounding it out this year, I think. I think we'll be done with production, we'll be done with filming uh, by the end of 2019. And I think it will come out um, certainly by spring of 2020. And I'm very excited by it because the director, Ronnie Thomas, who has really just been the spearhead of the whole uh, production process has put together just amazing, wonderful footage, uh, both Um, documentary footage and dramatic reenactments of certain concepts in the book. And there's never been anything like it. It's really arresting. And I, 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 maybe I'm going to, you know, sound a little far out here, but based on what I've seen, I think it's some of the best occult filmmaking since Kenneth Anger. It's really very beautiful and it's, it's going to come with a real rush of excitement, I believe.
0: That's super exciting. And with, you know, Carl's documentary coming out, this seems to yes. be the, the year or so for, for Satanism, for, for cold
1: thinking. for Right. Right. For, for everyone. One,
0: yeah. 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 For everybody. Right. Um,
1: as you have any books coming out on the way Are you working I, on I do. I have a book coming out early next year called secrets of self mastery. It's a very good book. Um, I was very touched recently because uh, the great, uh esoteric writer, scholar Richard Smoley uh, gave the book a, a kind of a proofread. And he said it was his favorite of the books that I've written. And I was very touched by that because coming from someone like Richard, that's not something I take uh, lightly. And uh, that book can be pre-ordered now. It's up on Amazon. And it will come out in January of 2020, Secrets of Self-Mastery.
0: Awesome. Um, I want to thank you again for The Miracle Club. I I love that book. A pleasure. Great a pleasure. To talk to you. Thanks for coming Likewise. back. Likewise. Thank you. Uh, I can't wait to see the movie and can't wait to read the book. Thanks, man. I
1: also, I'll come back on for we, it.
0: I was going to say, once, if we have more time next time, I'd love to touch base with depression and metaphysics
1: because that work has been... I'd be delighted. Be delighted. Okay. Thank you so much, Mitch. Thank you. Take care.
0: Take this time to thank Mitch Horowitz for coming on the program again, and hopefully like the last time, this won't be the last time. Um, you can become a patron of the show at patreon.com pragmagic. Check out our collective, wethehallowed.org and if you liked any of the music, you can find all of the music. It's all original, all written, performed, and engineered by myself and it's at dakotaslim.net Uh, Love you guys, and until next time, haunt on.